Hey, and welcome to Deeper Than Data, the podcast where we get to know the scientists deeper than their science to find out that they can simultaneously lead with vulnerability and geek out on platypuses, or that they eat a little bit of banana peel just to see what it's like. Maybe the last one is just me, your host, Ben Rush. A few quick things up top. I got a new mic, and so the audio that you're going to hear is going to be me coming in hot. My audio can be a little bit much at times. Sorry about that. I'm trying a new software currently, which seems like it's going to eliminate that burst from me popping in. Second, I thought I'd tell you why I asked the guests to give us a physical description of themselves. This is to help any visually impaired listeners and help listeners who might look like our guests to see that there's a place for them in science. Science is predominantly able-bodied white dude town, and that needs to change. We'd all benefit from as many perspectives as possible in science. Third, the standard first crush question comes a little bit later in the episode just to maintain flow. And last, you may have noticed a little fun surprise at the end of the last episode. There's a fun, weird thing at the end of this episode and all others going forward. Okay, for this episode, it is one that is sure to warm your heart. I finished the episode elated to know people like our guest are out in the science world. Let's get to the interview with Laura Hernandez. Thanks for joining me on Behind the Beaker. Uh, as usual, could you just start with saying your name and your preferred pronouns? My name is Laura Hernandez. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Great. And can you provide us a physical description of yourself? Sure. I'm about five feet, nine inches. I have brown hair and brown eyes, um, mainly brown in general. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I guess that's about it. All right, and what's your role on campus? I'm currently an associate professor in the Department of Animal and Dairy Sciences, and I also have an affiliate appointment in obstetrics and gynecology. And I actually today just found out I officially got promoted to full professor effective in August. So that was exciting. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> this is a, the perfect way to celebrate. I think. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good Friday, right? <laughs> and it's a good Friday. <laughs> um, and going off that with like a fun little celebratory question i noticed um from your social media you you're tweeting about mammals all the time <laughs> yeah so i figured i'd ask you how do you feel about being a mammal <laughs> i love being a mammal mammals are literally the coolest um i'm a lactation biologist hence the love for mammals uh i just started on twitter in the summer uh, a couple people were like i've been very hesitant let's say um, for a long time. And a lot of my colleagues that I'd met were like, you can really use it to promote your research and make connections that way. Um, and so I was like, okay, well then I guess I could do that and use it. And I saw it was a way I could like talk about the science I like and um, my mentoring style, make connections with other scientists um, and, you know, talk about kind of like my, my passions too, so that you could see my research life, but my um, kind of my home life at the same time. So, yeah, and that's like one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have you on here. It seems like there's a you are showing your personality, I think, <laughs> in whole, which I respected a lot. And I just think like, wow, everyone in science did that. I think it would just be so much more <laughs> of a welcoming space. Definitely. Um, I know people are like, be careful, et cetera. And, and I am for the most part, like I, like I've almost cut Facebook out, except like I have those people that I'm friends with that are like in my mom's era of age and they like only use Facebook. And so we put like pictures of my kids cause I have friends, you know, in the midst of many moves being a scientist, right? Um, you often move to a lot of different places and meet a lot of different people. So like I keep Facebook to post pictures and like share pictures with friends. And I've 
several times, especially during the pandemic, have been like, I'm going to quit. <laughs> um, but <laughs> mainly that's been the reason. And, you know, I know there's like all this conversation about social media. And I, so I, I had a couple of scientists tell me you should try Twitter. Like you can talk about your research, like other people's research, make these connections. Um, but then I started seeing things like, like I've seen yours and I think, you know, one of my PhD students like had a, has a Twitter account and uses it to talk about, um, graduate women in science. And these are some of the things I'm really passionate about mentorship, um, underrepresented minorities, my own research, of course, advancing women. And I started to see that there was a way I could do that. Um, and like, but also be myself and not be afraid to be like, I don't want to say much about what my beliefs are. And I think at least during the COVID year, like it's kind of like, whatever, these are just my beliefs and I'm done. <laughs> like I'm done trying to just be quiet and, you know, whatever. So I, I've, I, you know, I, I've, I've found it interesting for that reason. And so I, I, I was very afraid initially, but I, I'm getting a little better at it. So. Yeah. I think, you know, I've kind of, in a different way, undergone uh, transformation writing comedy during like the beginning mm -hmm. of the pandemic. And I was really afraid to share that with people yeah. and just started to. And then all of a sudden, like once you get that initial fear out of the way, people are just like, yeah, yeah keep doing it. And you're like, wait, I thought you'd hate this. Right. It's like, no, no, we yeah. like you. Like, give it up. Right. No, and that's, I, I think, you know, that this, this year and, probably like has given people a lot of room to think about what they do like and what they want and being like, look, this is just who I am and trying to maybe try some new things. So yeah, it's, it, I'm getting a little better at it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I definitely appreciate the articles that you share um, and also just the openness <laughs> on there. So I, I would encourage you to keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> The algorithm has learned that when uh, Laura likes something, I should also be <laughs> <laughs> notified about that. Well, awesome. Um, All those al algorithms. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you, algorithms. All right. I think I'm going to go to the hardest question um, for people so far, which huh? is, can you give me a two-minute research pitch of what you do? Sure. Um, I study lactation physiology and how the mammary gland um, – connects with the maternal metabolism and during lactation, how it drives the mother's metabolism, both from a physiological and nutritional perspective. Um, and so I study that in a couple of different ways. One is in cows, very centric around dairy and how the cow manages that and, and what happens in the mammary gland and what the signals are. Um, my other deep passion though, is how, um, women and serotonin and peripartal depression can affect um, women long-term, not just like not being depressed during lactation and during pregnancy, but like taking these medications and what the long-term effects are, especially because we know that serotonin in the mammary gland controls metabolism. So the other arm of our research is really focused on the use of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors on maternal metabolism, the bone, what the effects might be on the offspring, the effects on the reproductive tract of the women. Um, and so that's, those are kind of the two arms of my research. So I really am just a mammalian physiologist who studies <laughs> lactation um, and I apply my biology in, in two ways. So. Awesome. Yeah. Don't worry. There's going to be a lot of uh, mammal talk. Perfect. Mammal appropriate <laughs> questions later on. Perfect. <laughs> looking at your tweets and just thinking about the conversations and a little bit that we know about each other, I've had this question kind of burned into my head that I really want to ask you. And I think it's appropriate okay. that you, for like everything that you've mentioned so far too, is how does your science apply to being a mom or affect like how you're a mom? <laughs> Great question. Um, like I always, of course, this was what I've studied. Um, but when I had my daughter, like I knew it was going to be hard, right? You, they just tell you it's going to be hard. Um, and I had her and like, I was breastfeeding. Weird audio glitch. So sorry. Laura said breastfeeding. 
and not that my husband wasn't helpful because he is but like he can't breastfeed so like whatever um, <laughs> and offering to hang out with me in the middle of the night like one of us should be sleeping <laughs> like you can maybe do dishes or something while I'm sleeping later um, but <laughs> It was, it was really hard, you know, and it was my first year on, on faculty when I had my daughter. I had her two months after I started here. Wow. And so, like, I was teaching. Um, she was, like, four, four weeks old when I started teaching my lactation class, and I was exhausted. Um, I was trying to, like, maintain my job, didn't really know what I was doing, you know, trying to be in this tenure-track position. Like, I got to work, 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 die, 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 die all the time. And so it really made me even more attuned to like what the mother was going through beyond just the biological part, which is as a biologist, what I study. Um, and that became a really important thing to me. And as I've gotten further into my career and you start to have a little bit more freedom and things you can do because you finally get a grant. And um, so you can try something else that maybe you're a little afraid to try I've, I've been trying to get some more projects related to helping in that way because women don't have enough support. Um, and I like, I, you know, I make good money and my husband makes good money and I can't imagine like the woman working at McDonald's, like trying to breastfeed or like on your 15 minute lunch break, making $10 an hour. Um, it's just, it's incredible. So like, in a way, I, I've started to think more like about policy support systems, you know, how how to help um, grow those and, and, you know, help moms be prepared in whatever way I can um, so that they can get through that time and also enjoy like ha having your child right after because, yeah. you know, I was drowning, but I, again, can't imagine someone who like had to go back who is working an hourly job like that needs that job and they don't get the opportunity to really bond um, and, you know, and take that time. So it's really like, there's all these connections that kind of come full circle. So yeah, it's, I think about it a lot um, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's like, it's such an important oversight we have within the country and also like, the science and economics point to, you know, this being such a critical time for this child's development, but it's also mm -hmm. like economically mm -hmm. costly later on, like we're missing out on uh, so much by not really helping out women, um, especially mothers. No, I mean, we're, we're one of the, we're, I think we're like the only industrialized nation that doesn't have paid maternity leave. Yeah paid maternity leave like we have what's called sick leave so like at the university when they tell you to take your sick leave to have a kid like I'm not sick I'm having a child like you know and and so it's like not a medical absence it's having a child and and America's really behind on that um and you know and it gets into like a lot of what's happening now and ideas and what we want to do but like how can you afford daycare? Like you have to go work. Daycare is really expensive. Um, having the child's expensive and we don't live near our families anymore like we used to. So there's, there's just a lot. And I'd say too, that I, I started thinking about this stuff more. I started reading more. I did a sabbatical um, in the hospital and in the medical clinic um, doing clinical hours with breastfeeding moms. But I've done a lot of like the beyond reading and I've incorporated that into my, into my class because I, you know, it, it's always important. I think as a scientist to remember, like, yeah, we're in our little bubble, but what does the little bubble mean? You know, maybe you're not like going to be there tomorrow from the little bubble, but there's a reason why you're interested in the thing you're doing. And it's good to keep that in mind. So that's once I became a mom, I was like, whoa buddy we really need to get catch up here like we're so far behind to, so yeah. yeah yeah um did you always feel like you wanted to have kids were you on the fence ever no never on the fence i always wanted children um i was an only child for 10 years my parents waited a long time to have another child so my sister's 10 years younger than me and my neighbors across the street, there was six of them. And I was always like, 
man, I really like, would love to have some people to play with parents. Um, and of course, like my sister came along much later and we're close now, but 10 and zero is, you know, a big spread and a big difference. Um, so I, I desperately wanted kids. Um, I just didn't. So I, I always knew I would have them. I, I wish we had more than two, but um, we, we were lucky to have our daughter. Um, that was all through reproductive stuff. We tried some more, mm. failed, and then we ended up um, adopting our son. And so we waited. It, it took like three and a half years before we got matched with him. And what, I was 37 and my husband was 39. And he was like, um, so yeah, we're not getting on this list again because we might be like 50 yeah. by the time <laughs> the third one comes around and I can't wait that long. <laughs> so we were, we have our two and it's great. Um, but I always knew I would have kids. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like I, I have actually been thinking about like kids a lot in the past couple of weeks. And so in about a month and a half, I'll turn 30 uh -huh. and I've been one of the people who's like on the fence and unsure. Um, but I, it seems so simple in retrospect, but I, I think I held the idea of like, either you explicitly want to have kids forever or you never want to have kids. And just, I ignored the gray area in the middle. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, it's like everything else. It's what you make of it. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it and there's is going to be there's going to be times when you absolutely love it and times that you absolutely hate it there's never a good time there's never a right time circumstances change like things in your life change that make you go from yes to no or no to yes um and like every student i've had that's come in and been like like i had a postdoc who was like we want to have kids young our parents were young when they had us and i was like well then do it and she was like, can I though? Cause like a bunch of male professors told her she couldn't. And I'm like, of course you can like much older male professors, like yes, <laughs> of the era where like we, I shouldn't be a professor <laughs> and uh, cause I can't handle everything. Um, you know, me and my emotions. So yeah. <laughs> it's like, of course you can. I said, it's never a good time in a, when you have a career. Like, I don't think it's ever a good time even when you don't, but like grad school's a rough time, postdoc's a rough time, assistant professor's a rough time. So like, it's all a rough time, you know, and I have a colleague who waited and she's, I think she's 48 or 49 and she has five-year-olds. She's like, hmm. that was insane. She's like, I should never done like my <laughs> husband and I never should have just kept being like well well like I'll finish my MD PhD oh I'll do a postdoc oh I'll do a fellowship we can we can we can we can and so I just think you know if you want to then you know you, you should you should and and the plan can change um you can pivot like it may not be like what you thought it was going to be um whatever that situation is but you, you can pivot. Um, I always keep in my head, and this is of course timely because of course she passed away, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg always said like, you can have everything just not at the same time. And she said her husband always used to remind her of that. And so hmm. I tell myself that <laughs> regularly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good adage to have. Um, so I know what I'll be doing this weekend. Then. <laughs> 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 my plans. Um, Something else I noticed about you, I think, uh, right away when we first started uh, getting to know one another and also reflected um, on your social media and, you know, our conversations already is, it seems like you find a lot of power by being vulnerable and sharing personal stories. Um, do you think you've, you've been like that for quite some time or do you think I'm completely wrong? Oh, you're right. It's the story of my life. Um, <laughs> Nailed it. You've totally nailed it. Well, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I know I'm very transparent and for better or worse, it's, it's who I am, you know? And like, it's funny you asked me that. I mean, not surprising, but I, I was talking to my mom about that this morning. I'm like, sometimes like, why am I like this? And I said, like, it's my, one of probably like my best qualities, but also like a big flaw because 
I am transparent and I do take it all on, but I also am like, I'm in my job for a reason. It's because I like being a mentor. Um, I also don't like pretending to be something I'm not, you know, I've had friends that have done that. Um, my, my dad is a very prototypical, like Mexican man who didn't speak English. He went to school when he was five. He was like the first in his family to go to college, become a lawyer. He willingly joined ROTC. That's ROTC as in R-O-T-C, AKA the Reserve Officer Training Corps. And went into the Vietnam War because his parents told him they had like fourth grade educations and they're like, education is everything. You just keep your head down, you work hard and everything is quiet. Like you don't complain, you don't talk about anything. And so I grew up a lot like that. And, and I, you know, and I saw him suffer at times, like letting someone walk all over him or wondering what he was thinking and being like, why didn't he say something to that person? Like, and as I got older, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. And, um, you know, during, like, I, I went through a really bad depression in college and I was like, this is because I'm afraid that I, cause constantly I'm like, I did something wrong. It's my fault. I did something wrong. I did something wrong. I did something wrong. And so I finally was like, I need to stop this. So I'm just going to be who I am. And life is messy. And I, you know, life is really messy. And I know I'm not like the best mentor. I try very, very hard. Um, but I tell them like, my life is messy. I don't pretend that it's not. And I also recognize that all of you are human beings, like you're people and you have things going on, you have families, you have whatever, and you should because you're people. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, this is me and I'll, I'll go to the mat for you, but this is also, this is me. And I'd say too, the other part is because like, I, I'm a Mexican American, um, like I've been diminished and I've been discriminated against and I've had a lot of awful things happen to me. And I like, why do I have, why can't I just always like have brown so hair and brown skin and brown eyes and like be smart? Who cares? Like no one gave me anything. Like I worked really hard. I'm a nice person. So what's the big deal? So, um, that's, and so I, I try and it, and I think, you know, in relationships, both from a work perspective, like a personal perspective that I think if you're true to who you are and you're vulnerable, then you know that the relationship's real and, you know, and as you get older, I think you have less relationships that are real because like it starts to get weeded out, like who really cares, you know, we're busy and we don't have lots of time and, um, so I try really hard just to be myself. Um, and like I said, I, you know, I have little kids and I, I care about a lot of things. And so I, I just try really hard to be that way because I also want people to see that like nothing is perfect. <laughs> like I tell, I tell my grad students all the time, like guys, nothing is perfect. Like, so what if you messed up, you figured it out. Like I mess up all the time. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> and like the majority of science is just failing. And if you can't be innovative unless you fail 90% or more of the time. Um, <laughs> it's, totally, yeah. it's a lot of rejection. <laughs> it is a lot of rejection. And I, I feel like it's, we, you know, I, I think of the standard seminar talk, a lot of kind of this representation of mm -hmm. science. And I, I really hate it. Um, yeah. I have like 45 minutes of, kind of someone talking at you and it doesn't, you know, there can be great quality science there, mm -hmm. but unless the speaker's not uh, maybe like naturally talented or has worked on like the delivery, I'm, I zone out right. in 10 minutes and I will be the first one to admit that. <laughs> um, but in, in that veneer of like the seminar, you have, you know, this kind of perfection uh, mm -hmm told at you for 45 minutes, like, well, this one experiment led to the next perfect thing, let's to the perfect thing, you know, here's all of my acknowledgements and everyone that uh, worked perfectly together. Um, and no one, uh, hardly anyone talks about like, oh yeah, and it took us five years to get this one 
protein to come together. Yes. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. I like, you know, people will say, oh, well, you're doing great now. And I said, well, let's see. The first three and a half years that I was here, I submitted 12 or somewhere between 12 and 15 federal grants in three and a half years. One, finally at three and a half years, got funded. <laughs> and look, no one wants to talk about how like I many days I'd go sit in the car in lot 36 waiting for my husband. I'd leave like at 2.30 and he was got two more hours to go. And I was like, I'm just going to be in the car crying. So whenever you're ready, like, and he's like, okay, I'll try to leave early if I can. And he'd find <laughs> me in there and I would just be like with my head on the dashboard um you know and it, and it is it's total rejection like it's rejection on your papers everyone's always fighting about everything like you didn't do it my way so what like it doesn't mean that your way is bad it means our ways are different and they still reveal knowledge and so i i think that that's something that it's getting better with time like more people are are willing to say that you know, we, even like when I was in grad school, um, I finished in 2008, like even then it was still like no one really wanted to talk about when things didn't work. I mean, I can't tell you how many thing, times things actually do work. <laughs> it's more like what does it, you know? Um, and so I, I think that's really important that it's okay. You know, it's all right for it to happen. And so like, let's sit down and think about why that happened and maybe it's like what was is the answer like your hypothesis was wrong so what you still have a bunch of samples what could it be then like let's think about other other ways and i have a and i i didn't i never had it really captured that way but the colleague on my floor who is fantastic and been a huge mentor to me you know he always pushes this, the grad students he's like okay so what if that all fails and they're like, well, it's not going to, it can't, then we'll stop. And he goes, but it, it probably will. And if it does, so what are you going to do? You do this whole huge experiment, nothing works. And so what are you going to do then? Like, you, and you don't have money to do a whole nother huge experiment. Like you have all these tissues. Think about like the physiology in this one or the biochemistry here. Like what, what can you do then? And I think we're trained as scientists that it's like, this is the this is the way it goes you either reject or you accept and then you move on and that's not that's not it right like in a, in a great world the scientific method would work just like genetics would work in the mendelian way but they don't so <laughs> that's how i see it anyway <laughs> yes and i i think your your answer is like okay like we have this hypothesis it didn't work why why is such a good question because it's very ambiguous and also just points to like we need as many different perspectives as we possibly get mm -hmm. in science because we can read these papers but nothing you know most things are going to fail um and we just need as many different thoughts as we can possibly get to solve these problems right so i i'm also guessing like your vulnerability transfers over into like your management style within <laughs> yeah. the lab like it seems like you know i've talked to uh, one of your graduate students who respects you quite a bit. And I think, <laughs> again, going back to the social media, like can see like these great interactions. It's like, wow, there's so much support in this lab. I try. <laughs> yeah. I, I, how do you, do you manage with like an open heart? Um, what are your management styles to begin with? Definitely, you know, and because my lab is astronomically large right now, but it, it was something I recognized like even a couple years ago. And it's a lot like your kids. They all have different personalities. They all approach problems in different ways. They all have different things going on and are stressed out for different reasons. And so I, I, I don't find that it works for me to take this blanket approach to everyone, um, which has been hard because now they're pushing to have like these contracts between you and your students and I think I could have one that says like, we respect each other. We respect everyone. Like we don't lie. We're honest. And that's about all I could put down because my students are really different and the way they're motivated are different in different manners. And so for me, it's more like, 
I have an open door and that's been really hard in COVID because I am clearly not in um, and that's a really hard thing to do. Um, so that's been a struggle for me during COVID, but I, I'm like the doors open if they have like a longer thing they wanted to talk about. Of course we set up a time, but I walk in every morning when I see them come into the office and I'm like, how's it going? Sometimes if I have enough time, I'll sit in there and eat my lunch and talk to them and ask them like, Hey, how's your grandma doing? Or like, we'll talk about just stuff. Um, and you know, and I, I, I think that's important because I'm not in an ivory tower and I am very, very imperfect. And so I want them to feel comfortable enough to come to me that if they do have a problem, whatever that may be, and it's somehow inhibiting their progress or it's causing them some kind of distress that like is making them unable to work or changes what we need to do that they aren't terrified to come in and say like, this is what's happening, you know? Um, and I really, there, there's not a lot of stuff. Well, maybe now <laughs> since the world has turned on its axis, but like, I'm not really a hateful person. And, but there is one thing that I really hate and that is PIs. That's PI as in principal investigator. Mostly it just means the main scientist leading a lab. Not every single lab is gonna be on a campus. So not every single person leading a lab is going to be a professor. PIs who mistreat their grad students. Um, I have a very deep seated hatred for that. And it's because personally, I had a person on my committee that was awful and tormented me for three and a half years. And so just because they could and they were mean and like, I don't think that's right. I don't think that gets you anywhere. I don't think it makes you excited about what you're doing. I don't think it makes you want to come in every day and inject mice or like, you know, want to do any of this because grad school is really hard. And so I don't think anyone wants to be anywhere where they feel that. So I try like to, I have the open door policy. We have like a big group lab meeting with some scientists in the vet school, but I don't have like the hardcore let's meet all once a week and go around and, and talk about that. I, my postdoc mentor did that and it sort of worked for him, but it also was more of a waste of time because he would just start like arguing with the other PI that we met with. And then it was like, okay, we're all just sitting here staring at you too. <laughs> and no one like we could be in the lab or like it's not useful so um I try to I that's kind of my style and I don't I, I know a lot of PIs who are really successful that like this is work and this is not and everything is in its separate bucket but I I don't find that being a professor who mentors grad students as a boss like it, I don't feel like it's a boss employee situation. It's a mentorship contract. Um, and so I think it's a lot more equitable than it is like this chain of command. Um, yeah. So I, I really try to figure out like, what are their goals? We sit down when they start, like, what do you want to do? What is your long-term goal? Let's talk about the project. And we start with a base and they work on the base and then it goes in different ways depending on what we find because I want them to evolve as scientists. And they all have different goals and they change their minds. And I'm like, the other thing is, is you can change your mind. It's okay if you get two years in and you're like, I don't want to go into academia or I just want a master's degree or, 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 or nothing about any of those things are a failure. You don't know until you know. Um, and so like, this is a safe space to, to do that. And, you know, I, I remind them that not everyone's like best friends, but we have to just be kind to each other. And if we have a conflict, like, let's talk about the conflict and, and solve the conflict. Like we just need to be respectful of each other and know that we're all, we're all just like working really hard here. You know, no one in my lab does not work hard. I mean, I'm constantly in awe of how hard they all work. And I tell them that every week during COVID, I'm shocked that like they continue to do so and that they want to. I'm always like, are you guys sure you're okay? Like you can take some days. Like, are you sure you want to be in the lab? And they're like, yes, it keeps our mind off other stuff. And yes. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. So, um, and then, you know, the honesty part, like 
it's that's I think the important most important part about the relationship is just you need to tell me like when there is a problem or when you've messed up or when we need to change things because no one wants to stay in this like deep seated rut <laughs> because they think that's just going to get them through it and um you know and and I and it's hard for me because I'm not very assertive not even mildly assertive but I I've had to get better at it is like and I, and part of this is because of my own experiences, like giving feedback because I want to give constructive feedback, but I also hate hurting people's feelings, <laughs> you know, and I, I have gotten better. I'm still not great, but I, I like, I always remind them, you know, we're talking about these things because when you leave, I want you to go and be totally prepared because I know you're awesome, but like, these are some things we can make better. So, um, that's, I think that's mostly my, how I, how I do things. Um, yeah, I really like a, that approach too. Um, it, it's, I think at its core, very supportive and also acknowledges at the end of the day, like you said before, life is messy and we're all just humans. <laughs> we're just mammals we're trying to get through the day. Just mammals. <laughs> that's it. We're just yeah. mammals. Um, so I'm going to go back in time a okay. little bit now. Um, when did you, did you start getting interested in like mammals and animals before you got into lactation? Yeah. So it's kind of funny when you see your child like doing the exact things that you used to do. <laughs> and yeah, and she's, God help my husband. She's like me on steroids, which, wow. <laughs> At least I can interpret what's happening because I lived it. But um <laughs> Yeah, I've I've always loved animals. Like um I hated dolls. I wanted like 15 dogs. We had one. The dog was not allowed inside the house. Back to those neighbors with the six kids. They always had like six dogs and the dogs were inside. I'm still super good friends with their mother. Um like <laughs> she said we we always chat and it's like the Anaya's had have all these dogs, mom. Why can't we have a dog inside? Yeah. And she's like, it's dirty. And I'm like, so what? <laughs> so, so am I. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I I always loved animals. Um, I was really into science always. Um, my dad was a lawyer. My mom is a high school counselor. So they were always like math. I don't know how to help you <laughs> science. Good luck. And <laughs> so, um, my uncle, my dad's brother, he's a, he's a doctor. So that's probably like where some of the science came from, but, um, yeah, so I, I was always all about animals, all about science. Um, I've never liked snakes. I've never liked frogs. I've never liked toads, the furry ones hence the mammals. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. What about the in-between zone uh, kind of uh, birds? No, birds? no birds. birds creep me out. <laughs> my, my, my daughter got into watching birds this, during the pandemic and she wanted a bird book and binoculars. And I was like, no, not the birds. <laughs> and my, and my old lab manager, she was a poultry science major and her, her daughter like nannied for us this summer. And she's like, she's like, don't worry, Laura, we'll take care of teaching Zoe about the birds. And I was like, good, because you know how much I don't like them. Yeah. What is it about them? <laughs> they are creepy. Like, they're just creepy. They're, and you know, they're, I mean, they're interesting from a biological perspective, because they're in this real in-between reminiscent of the dinosaurs kind of thing. And they're just strange. Um, but I, like... I never really took a liking to them and they weren't the thing is so like I don't like cats really I don't mind cats but I'm not a cat person like what I love about like dogs or even like sheep who are not very intelligent like they'll like come next to you you know there's there's a lot more of that interaction whereas cats are like I don't need you coach just like I just don't need you I will take up your space but I don't need you so I, I've always loved mammals, I guess. <laughs> Have you seen the video of uh, the goose who loves to be hugged? 
No, I'll have to look at okay. that. I'll, I'll yeah, Google that might it. change your mind. <laughs> okay, less okay. creepy. Okay, yeah, and I, I'm terrified of snakes. Um, terrified. Uh, this kid in my my first grade class. I don't know you those world wildlife fund they used to have cards and you could buy the pack of cards and like there was a a box you carried with all of the stuff and it had information about all the animals on them oh yeah okay. I had those all right so I had lots of those and Holland he got the snakes and he gave a report on the snakes and they put the snakes around the room and they were up for like three weeks, these cards. And I had nightmares for like six months after that. And so I was like, I hate snakes. I, not a lot scares me, but snakes scare me for sure. Yes. So. This, this may make you feel better. In second grade, we had this um, book report competition where, you know, we got more points for reading a chapter book. And I chose to do a book on snakes. Oh, but in the end just faked my way through the presentation and didn't learn anything about snakes. <laughs> yes. I don't know what it was, but I like some, you know, those things that just like, I distinctly remember that. So I've always loved animals. Like I had a million stuffed animals and I told you only child for 10 years. So I'd sit in my room with them, like all around the edge of the wall, like in order. And I would sit in there and like talk to them and make up stories because I had to entertain myself. <laughs> and so everywhere and, and like people would give me, I can remember being like in second grade and some kid gave me Barbies and I, I cut their heads off. <laughs> I was like, mom, I hate these. And like, I cut their hair and then I cut the heads off. And she's like, that's kind of morbid. I'm like, don't they know me by now? I love animals. I hate dolls. And she's like, oh God, what am I going to do with you? I think she'd hoped I was going to be like this debutante. My mom's a typical, like, although I'm from the Southwest, she's much more like Houston, Dallas, like Southern woman type. Like, what do they say? Like, the higher the hair, the closer to God. My sister and I make so much fun of her because she uses hairspray. <laughs> like it's the, like it's indefinitely all over the world. Um, and we're like, get the hairspray away from us. <laughs> yeah. So she like very like proper and I was the antithesis of that. <laughs> so and Great. still am. Still am. Yes. Well, I'm glad that's uh reflected in your daughter too. <laughs> yes. Because we need more people who love I'm assuming, uh, playing in mud, turning over rocks, looking yeah. under the logs. Yeah. Good. All yeah. right. Yeah. What are my people? Yeah. Did that uh, continue into high school and college too? Was that your main driver? Yeah. So I, um, I like I said, I went to Catholic school, which was all girls starting in sixth grade through 12, but I only stayed there through ninth grade. Um, and again, was just really into like science. I was they what did i remember like my freshman year it was like most likely to earn a million dollars first because i was super nerd and i was a swimmer okay now it's time for the first crush question before we get to that i one of my favorite questions to ask is uh and i think this is appropriate for mammals too okay. um who was your first crush oh man that's a good question I went to Catholic school, so it's like really hard to even think about that <laughs> during that period of my life. Um, I really don't know. I okay, so I liked Pablo Morales. He was a swimmer. Um, I was a swimmer. I swam in college, and he uh, he won the gold medal in the hundred butterfly in the nineteen eighty two Olympics. Uh -huh. He was in college, and he was, and my mom was in love with him too. <laughs> so, like, we would just sit there, and like, anytime we could watch him, he went to Stan Stanford, I believe. Um, and so, I, I always like, yeah, had a had a huge crush on him. <laughs> yeah, the one that got away so close that I never met. <laughs> <laughs> you never met, yeah. And now back to Laura being a swimmer. And I, I was like doing really well in the state. I, I went to school on a swimming scholarship in college and just, I was athletic and like studied. And as I said, my dad was your typical Mexican American, like machismo man, like follow the rules. You do everything I say, don't even question it. And, and I just never did, just did what he said. <laughs> so like, I didn't go out. Um, I like went and I was a distance swimmer. So I swam twice a day. So 
like I was always just studying and um and swimming was pretty much it and still loved always loved science um I also really liked um politics and debate I mentioned my dad used was a lawyer when when he was alive and he did a lot of immigration law and so I he and I always used to talk that's one thing I miss about him being many things I miss about him being alive but he and I always used to talk about that stuff and my mom's just not interested so she's more her my sister are more I think more more on the same wavelength so he and I that was the other thing I like so I did debate um and like (laughs) you'll find this funny this is like the feminist in me so me like promoting women here's a good story about myself my freshman year, which was my last year at this all-girls school, we, I, I took speech and debate class and we had to provide a speech with like, you know, supportive stuff and, and talk about it. And I distinctly remember like one night seeing Newt Gingrich on the news talking about how women didn't belong in the combat zone because of their monthly diseases. And it was like, like on the evening news. And I was like, excuse me? And so I wrote this whole speech. Like I pulled all the science of like reproduction, keep in mind all girls Catholic school. <laughs> and I I got up and I gave this entire speech about how he was wrong. It wasn't a disease. This is how it's happened. Like women can do anything. They don't have to. I don't want to go to war. I don't want to shoot guns. But like if I did, he has no right to tell me I can't. <laughs> and I think the the speech teacher, like, you know, they gave me a good grade, but they sent like a note. <laughs> and my dad was like, as much as my dad didn't like to talk about stuff because he was a machismo Mexican guy, he was like, good work, sweetheart. Like, good work. <laughs> you yeah. had all your facts straight. And I was like, he's wrong. <laughs> he's wrong. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. So those are the things that I like being very like socially aware and and science was always what I loved. And then I went to, so when it came time to pick a major, someone told me that animal science was biology for mammals. And I was like, sweet, no amoebas. I don't have to talk about plants, like no crustacean, like we're out. And there, so they said that when I went on my recruiting trip, they told me that I had no idea. Um, and so that was why I picked that major. I wanted to study biology, but in in the mammal context. And I didn't know if I wanted to go to medical school or to vet school um, with law always kind of hanging in the back of my mind. Although I, I, it's too, I always used to tell my dad, it wasn't like there was too much left for interpretation. (laughs) And I like, and in science there's some, but like you, you get an answer. Like you always get some kind of answer. There's always like more to look at, but law is too open to interpretation for my for my taste so especially with mammals you can be like that is a rhino yes i'm pretty certain of that that's what other people generally agree yeah like you can't (laughs) tell me that's not a rhino like it is so yeah so i i went i picked animal science yeah okay this is a perfect segue into our our games um i'm very glad i was like i was thinking about okay what could be something great for Laura. And I came up with actually two little mini games. So our first okay. one is like a mammal versus competition. So okay. we're going to have three rounds where you choose between two mammals. Okay. And so it's, you know, it's mostly just about your opinions, mm-hmm. uh, but I will also let you know that there is a right answer okay. for each one of these two. <laughs> um, so the first one is red panda versus koala. Which one do you choose? Koala. Uh, why do you go for marsupial? A of course. Okay. All right. Soft spot for marsupials. I love marsupials. Okay. All right. Well, the correct answer was red panda on that one. <laughs> okay. And so we'll see. we'll see. We'll oh, see. Are you going to tell me um, why later? <laughs> I, I can tell you why right now. Okay. Okay. Um, I I think they're incredibly cute. They're, they're curious. Um, the way that they stand up on their haunches with their paws like outstretched, mm-hmm. about to pounce on things. Um, is I think is one of the most adorable things in the world, and uh, koalas eat their own poop, and <laughs> I'm not okay with that. That's a good argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also think po- koalas are just too popular. Yeah, I just like marsupials. So that's okay. All right. Well, 
I might know the next answer then to this one. I was going to say goats versus kangaroos. Oh, kangaroos by far. And uh, so I have to tell you that when I went to Australia, it was the first time. And like, I have like top 10 highlights in my life. And one of the top 10 highlights was seeing the pant, like the kangaroos go across the bush, like at dusk. That is one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced. <laughs> but it's because I love marsupials. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, you're also wrong. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I like goats. Yeah. <laughs> I, they're so, they're, I mean, I'll give you kangaroos, and that seems like so majestic at the sunset. Um, but I think goats are just, they're so strange, and they're so weird. <laughs> they um, and there's just like baby goats just like, twirling in the air because they just have energy mm -hmm. um and i gotta say like you know the joeys are probably in the pouch still they are while those goats are yeah freaking out about something <laughs> um how did you feel when you when we found out uh platypuses fluoresce oh my goodness when i saw that i like i talked about it for like a week <laughs> <laughs> it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. And we were were in like a pod with a couple of my neighbors. They're they're retired. And um we went over to have dinner that night in their yard. And my neighbor was like, My daughter's because her daughter likes platypuses and she didn't know how obsessed I am, but she's like, Gina was telling me, I was like, Yes, they fluoresce. <laughs> and I pulled it up and I was showing her, and she's like, I knew you were, uh, that you studied mammals, but I said, no, 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 you don't understand how amazing platypuses are. And now we know that they fluoresce. So yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. It was it just incredible. I always tell my department chair, I'm like, could we get a herd of like wallabies or platypuses for me to study here? And he's like, Laura, no, he still keeps telling me no. And I'm like, please. And he's like, no, I was and like, every year you go back every year I ask and he just laughs. So, you know, I'll keep asking. Perfect. Um, okay. Our last one of the mammal competition, uh, regular old boring pandas uh, versus manatees. 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 And I love pandas. I love pandas. But manatees are like, they're just really incredible. I guess, you know, and I've only seen a panda like far away in a zoo, but where was I? I was at like an aquarium and watching them actually it was at an aquarium in Columbus, Ohio. They have quite a large uh, manatee reserve there and they're just really beautiful. And like one of them, she had she was an older an older cow they called the women cow or the females cows and she hadn't had any babies and wasn't mating anymore and like she rescued some of these other calves that like had lost their moms and, and they do it as a rescue from the ones that get injured in florida and that's why she couldn't have any more babies because she'd been injured by a boat down in florida because they they the people in those boats go really close and they end up injuring them and they have to rescue them and rehabilitate them so that they can survive in the ocean so i thought i when i learned more i and i like and i was a swimmer is why i also used to like i've always liked them but when we went and we saw them there and that it was really there were just so many of them and to hear like how they have to be rescued and and whatnot it, it was i i started to like them more and i love panda bears <laughs> Like, I love panda bears. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> they were one of my first loves of mammals, actually, was panda bears. Oh, okay. Oh, man. I was going to say both are wrong, but, you know, we'll flip around. We'll say both are right this time. <laughs> um, I'm also, I have this pet peeve about myself. Um, when, I, when I hear people describe chimpanzees as monkeys, it drives me insane. Um, do you also feel the same way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I have a lot of those things like um you I'm like a lot of people call calves baby cows and cows are female cattle and calves are like the babies and it's and a lot of people don't even know that cows is the female version of 
like a boss Taurus, you know? <laughs> so there's bull, there's cow, there's calf. And so I, I yes, <laughs> I have, I have those, <laughs> yeah. I have those things. <laughs> yes. I, do they start young for you? Like, I remember, uh, I think maybe my like fifth or sixth birthday party, um, you know, huge gathering with my mom's side of the family and my aunts, aunts and uncles were calling like chimpanzees and gorillas monkeys. And I was just correcting them from that age. And I, I felt very strongly back then, but I think it's <laughs> only grown. And like, so, yeah, I, it's just like, I, I don't even know how to describe my frustration yep. with it, but I'm glad you also feel the same yeah. way. Oh yeah. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Um, okay, our last little game, and this is when I was hearing, like, you used to spend time in your room with your stuffed animals, like, <laughs> making up little sentences for this. I was like, this is great. Um, so we're going to play uh, the alphabet game, and I'll tell you what that is in a second. Okay. But first, I need a few words from you. So first, I need an adjective. Majestic. Majestic, okay. Um, then I need a first name. Zoe. Zoe. A uh, place? El Paso. El Paso. Okay. Uh, an emotion? Happy. Happy. All right. And an animal. And don't make it one of those dumb birds. <laughs> I won't. Any animal? Um, Any animal. Platypus. Platypus. Okay. By the way, also, um, before my senior year of college, I worked at a zoo in the bird. Uh -huh. And I do think birds are actually pretty <laughs> My daughter cool. does, too. I have some scar marks. Okay, yeah. All right, so <laughs> I just had to throw that out for the fans. I'm not all in camp man. Have you, have you seen, a lot, a large, a large have you seen an emu, like, in person? Not up close. They're scary. <laughs> yes. Um, the run-in that I had that was the most terrifying was actually with okay. Kia. If you, if, okay. So yeah. New Zealand parrot, um, so incredibly smart and, you know, they're so talented and, and too, and curious, they would actually, um, they would figure out how to open certain locks. So there's like the standard, like dial locks wouldn't work. So we had to have like, like these really complicated combination locks. Um, and when I'd have to go into like clean their uh, enclosures, they were just like, watch me from afar. And, you know, you know, they toy a little bit, like one would come a little bit closer to see what it would do. And eventually there was um, one named Attila, uh -huh. after like Attila, Attila the Hun. Hun. Of course, it's like Attila um, would fly onto my belt and just would hang there. Okay. And so like, they're, you know, the birds, they got hollow bones, so I don't want like, Right. hurt them or anything right. but he would just like uh he would start biting me and i had i had two scars from <laughs> these parrots and you know during this time i'm also learning like kia became endangered in new zealand because of their curiosity like they would well that and also because they would fly down on shepherds herds oh. of sheep fly down on the sheep and rip out the fat on the backs so they're like flesh-eating parrots yes. um, that I was working with. I was like, okay, I'm just, I am a sheep in their little <laughs> enclosure and I'm just going to try to get out of as here fast as fast as I, can. I possibly can. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, still safe. But I like birds, still. <laughs> That's good. Um, yes, yeah, it is good. Um, okay, so the alphabet game, um, we're going to make up a story but we're going to alternate sentences between the both of us, starting with a different letter. So um, we're going to start at the beginning of the alphabet. So you could start with uh, a sentence that starts with A, and then I reply with a sentence that starts with B, and so on and so forth until we get to the end of the alphabet. But I asked you all of these other materials because we're going to make a story about Zoe, the majestic happy platypus from El Paso, and if Zoe happens to meet other characters along the way, so be it. Um, <laughs> but this is a whole, this is a great story about Zoe uh, at the end of the week. Zoe's happy. We're happy. You just got promoted. Um, so would you like to go first or second? Second. Okay. Yeah. 
A long time ago, there was a platypus named Zoe. Back before there ever were platypuses, there were only um, reptiles and birds. Cold-blooded reptiles and birds were all over the planet, and they were they were tyrannical rulers of planet Earth. Deep in the Australian outback, Zoe the platypus was sad. And every time Zoe the platypus would try to leave the river that she was in, she would be met with these angry birds and lizards. Feeling emboldened one day, she decided to leave the Australian outback and head to El Paso. <laughs> Going the long route, she decided to go uh, up the Pacific Ocean and down the Pacific Ocean and then cross over to El Paso. Heading towards El Paso, she went through California and Arizona and New Mexico and landed there finally one day and she was all by herself just as she arrived in el paso she met her new best friend tiger the friendly lizard <laughs> okay oh that's a hard one <laughs> king tiger who was the king of his lizard community was very nice to Zoe the platypus. Oh, L is also hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lizards in El Paso had a different take on life. They wanted to share the resources that they had. Mainly dirt and lots of sun. <laughs> there was not a whole heck of a lot of water. <laughs> Ned said Zoe, who was also a lizard in the community. Do you think we could ever be friends? Of course, Ned. I'm the happiest platypus around. I love my new dirt infested area. It's kind of like home. <laughs> Platypuses were a new site to be held by this lizard community, but they warmed up to the idea very quickly. Quickly, she became Queen Zoe of the lizard community in El Paso. <laughs> Righteously, she began to rule the lizard community in a fair and equitable way, which made her happy. Soon, she began to meet lots of new friends in, in the desert. Some she liked more than others. The snakes were really scary. The scorpions were so-so, and the spiders had lots of legs. <laughs> Tiger, said Zoe, let's make sure those snakes stay very far away from us. Under the rocks they hid sometimes to stay away from the snakes, especially at night when they were out because it was cooler. They could hear the rattlers rattling off the rattlesnake <laughs> warnings. <laughs> Venturing out during the night they didn't do. Water was hard to find, but they did finally find a nice little man-made lake that they were happy had been made so that they could be happy and, and get enough water to keep going. Xylophones have no place in this story. Yet, desert animals and new <laughs> friends did. <laughs> Zoe the platypus will go down in history as the first friendship between lizards and platypi. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right, we did I like it. it. I like it. That's a fun yes. game. That's a fun game. That's hard. It's hard, and I've done that in reverse, too. Oh, yikes. That's, that's yeah. really, like, engaging your mind. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the theme was, like, apple picking. Too. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, not just like a whole world you could make up. Um, but, yeah, this might be also a great game to take with you in the car with mm -hmm. kids. My daughter, my daughter Zoe would love this. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, or, or your husband, <laughs> too. If he put his headphones on, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. 
Well, Laura, this has been so much fun to actually like sit down and chat with you. Um, Likewise. I am really glad you got promoted. I think you're well deserving Thank you. of that. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. I think it's a really great thing. I think part of what we do as scientists is not communicate well. And so I think science communication is important. And that was largely why I was interested to see that you were doing that. Um, because we need to be better at making sure people don't think we're making stuff up. So, Except when we make up stories about Platypi. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Deeper Than Data. Don't you feel better knowing Laura is out there guiding the next generation of scientists? I'm excited that she was promoted and that she's generally just exists in the world. Deeper Than Data was produced and created by me, Ben Rush. Music by me, Ben Rush. Mammal Scheming, also by me, Ben Rush. Until next time, be well. Think you may be on mute. That will be vital. There we go. <laughs> Always. It's... How's it going? Good. How about yourself? Um, I'm so happy it's Friday. Me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> See you later.